1: Hello and welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Pro Athlete Supplementation. Check them out at pas-nutrition.co.uk for all your supplementation needs. And don't forget that subscribers to the Rugby Renegade program get a 40% discount on retail prices. Yes, hello and welcome back to the 28th episode of the Rugby Renegade podcast. Uh, My name is Jamie Bain and today I interview Mark Keyes an expert powerlifting strength and conditioning coach with a lot of experience in rugby and other sports uh, the Scottish Institute of Sport uh, of course working mainly with Edinburgh Rugby um, and we talked to him all about strength and power development and there's some real good take-home messages so as always give it a good listen and let us know what you think Hi Mark, welcome to the Rugby Renegade podcast Uh, thanks for sharing your time with us why don't we start by you explaining a bit about your background um, how you got into strength and conditioning and some of the teams you've worked with
0: Cool. Um, Well, my name is Marquise. Uh, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I've been based out of Edinburgh pretty much for the entirety of my career. I'm also a powerlifter and a powerlifting coach. I run a business called Cast Iron Strength, through which we currently coach about 70 athletes through a mixture of online and in-person training. Our main focus is powerlifting, however. um, For my strength and conditioning background, I did uh, my undergraduate at University of Central Lancaster. Um, I was there between 2004 to 2007. From there, I saved up uh, to do my master's in Edinburgh, Edinburgh University, did the MSc there um, under Tony Turner uh, and Mike Stone. During that year, I ended up um, doing uh, shadowing with uh, Neil Crosby at the Scottish Institute of Sport. From there, I got offered a, a contract with the Institute of Sport to. Coach their sessions in St. Leonard's. So I spent four years, I think it's four or five, it's 2008 till 2013, um, coaching a mixture of individual athletes, team athletes, and so on through the Institute of Sport. We had a mixture with the likes of Callum Skinner, who came through, obviously went on to win two medals at the 2016 Games, a few other uh, athletes who medaled at the Paralympics, Commonwealth Games. And a mixture of athletes who were like a development. So we, we dealt with the Scottish rugby unions um, at the time. They're kind of tier two athletes. So the athletes that were maybe in in, in the in the back of the back minds of coaches for a potential pro academy contract. But Maybe we're either too young or weren't quite there yet. Or maybe we're just a little bit shorter of the selection criteria. Uh, so it was a real mixed bunch of uh, athletes we dealt with there. But it was mainly gym based training. I also worked with the University of Edinburgh and um, just doing more kind of general gym training and that's kind of where my uh, kind of gym specialty came from. So I just coached mainly uh, powerlifters, strongmen, weightlifters, coached them for about five years out of the university. And uh, I myself was also a competitive powerlifter. So that's kind of where my specialty kind of grew and developed. And then eventually just through luck of, um, I was trying to get into professional rugby uh, jobs for about five years always getting knocked back. But eventually, just through having a good re- reputation and word of mouth, I got um, an opportunity to help Edinburgh rugby with the preseason in the season of 2013 to 2015, uh, 2013 to 2014, sorry. And through the back end of um, the two or three months helping with their gym, primarily helping with their gym programme, I uh, got offered a, uh, a year contract with Edinburgh, and primarily as a strength coach, but also to help with the strength and conditioning side of things. From then, I spent four years at Edinburgh mixed with uh, – the good thing about Edinburgh was it was it was quite a turbulent time for the club. So from my own development, from my standpoint, I got to work under a whole bunch of different lead coaches. I think in my time at Edinburgh, I got to to assist maybe five or six lead SC coaches. So from my side of things, it was a great a great development. And uh, that developed massively my four years there. Uh, and basically just learned how I could maybe – the institute was maybe more of a pure SC environment as institutes tend to be very, like incredibly – um, numbers driven, science, scientifically based, um, a bit more science and pragmatism. So it was good to come from that kind of background and also having my own um, training background and training of, of um, lifters to bring that into like a professional sports environment and to, to find out through working with different people and bash my head against a few people, getting work with a few people, kind of the, the nuances of training professional rugby players and what was, what kind of worked? What didn't work? And it, it was a, it was it was a great time at Edinburgh. And I, managed, I also was lucky enough to work with Scotland through a couple of Six Nations campaigns and an Autumn International. So it was a good four years. But that's, that's basically my SSC background. Um, to this, this point.
1: Yeah, cool. And you know, a good time to be involved in Scottish rugby. That you know, performing really well. Um, and let's let's talk about your powerlifting background. Um, so as you as a lifter yourself, what do you? kind of take from that experience into your SSC work with rugby and other sports
0: I mean for me it's I think well many people will be able to think different but I think it's to be a, to be an excellent SSC coach and to actually understand the process of training more than the the science of training or to understand the art and how it's actually applied I think it's, it's very important to take something to to your to your limit now that could be rugby that could be lifting it could be running. But it's it's taking taking yourself through a physical quality or to a sport and trying to take your body to the limit in some kind of aspect. Cause you you run into you understand what it feels like to be sore. You understand what it's like to plateau. You understand you have a you have a more ingrained um, understanding, or you have a more intuitive understanding of the training process. And certainly from younger coaches, I think that's something that's lacking massively from younger coaches I've worked with. They tend to the pragmatism tends to not be there. Whereas what I've noticed with like older coaches with a with a maybe more of an athletic background is the pragmatism's there, and I think that's something um, that a lot of SEC coaches are guilty of, is not being pragmatic in the programs that you give to your athletes, how you adjust your athletes. And when I say pragmatic, you might want a player or an athlete to lift a certain load because your program says that, but then when they present with maybe a stiff groin or a stiff back, maybe rather than being like you have to like, we, we try rather than trying everything you can to try to get that athlete to perform at a level which you are maybe presupposing maybe they're not ready for that level on that day so it's i think how being more pragmatic and having a better understanding of training as a process to understand that if you maybe don't squat 240 for five today maybe if you maybe only maybe if you don't even squat maybe if you do a trap bar deadlift or you do a single leg or or you adapt the program to allow that athlete to perform at their sport to allow them to perform to their specific task better you're, you may actually, you're not actually maybe going to lose the training adaptation just because someone doesn't lift something at this time. Um, I think it's, I think it's a hugely beneficial thing, and I, admit, I think it makes um, athletes more empathetic towards you as well if you kind of understand the process of training and kind of what their body's going through. And maybe if someone's coming up and presenting with a stiff back, you know, maybe their back stiff. Maybe it's not a fact they're trying to shirk the weight, although that definitely does happen, though. But, <laughs> but, but I think. At the end of the day, you have to also understand that for most of these guys, um, this is their job as well. So you need to you need to give them the best opportunity possible to to perform on the day. Because as you, you know, if you're involved with professional rugby, it could be your last game at the club. It's um it's, it's not the easiest career in the world. So like having that kind of having that understanding rather than just being some kind of numbers-driven robot, I think is like a huge feather in the cap of an SC coach and maybe something that doesn't get praised or recognized a lot by maybe head coaches or maybe even other SCs or like national leads. Cause so they tend to be in a number numbers driven environment, but the athletes and the players definitely do um, respect that kind of approach. And it's something that I think that's maybe a bit undervalued in the profession from my own experience.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and certainly in rugby, you need that understanding. You know, if if they've had an extremely physical game on, on the weekend and they come in on a Monday, they're not always going to be in that ideal position to lift. And, and you've got to learn to adapt your programme on the fly and, and depend on how the athlete's responding. Um, so that's a really good point there. And, and now um, talking, you know, in terms of maximal strength development obviously you're, you're the man to ask with your powerlifting background what are some kind of training methods you might go to i know in the past people have looked at kind of west side barbell and things like that and, and try to take what they've used and apply it to sports
0: yeah so i think you have to understand where west side barbell is coming from so west side barbell is a, an equipped powerlifting club so that in itself kind of skews everything so a lot of the stuff they use, like the accommodating resistance, it kind of mimics the action of the, the of squat brief, squat suit, bench shirt. Because um, the strength shirt the strength curve of a of a bench shirt is directly opposed pretty much to a bench like a normal bench press. So someone like me who's quite strong off the chest, my 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 I'm probably actually stronger at the bottom than I am at the top. Whereas in a bench shirt universally you're gonna be stronger at the bottom just because you got the support at the bottom. So like, I think, and also to understand that Westside, all their lifters are um, drug to the max. So it's also understanding that, like the training a natural lifter and, and an enhanced lifter is two completely different animals. And an, an enhanced lifter has the mechanical. So when I talk about training adaptation with strength, I like to compartmentalize it a little bit, although obviously it's not that easy, it's not compartmentalized in the real world, but. Um, when I think about things, I like to think about the mechanical factors. So mechanical f- factors are basically anything around endocrinology, anything around hypertrophy, kind of your 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 work capacity, your pre your, your phase potentiation with hypertrophy, however you want to think about it. So I think of it as a mechanical, and then you have the neural factor. For, for an enhanced lifter or a lifter who's taking steroids, the steroids take care of the, the mechanical factor, as you will, because their, their testosterone is... Um, is super physiologically raised to ten times twenty times natural levels so as such they don't really need to worry about volume as it, as it are because so they basically they basically um, adapt to anything as it were so they they're, they're practically in a stage of um, newbie gains basically whereas when a natural lifter is in that kind of that endocrine soup or that kind of where they adapt to everything for maybe a year, maybe two years, but when a natural lifter or a natural athlete, kind of gets to levels of strength where they can't just add five kilos every week or they just can't add a rep every week then you need to start looking at how you how you adapt your volume how you cycle your volume your exercise specificity all of these kind of training becomes basically a lot more complex when someone who's natural comes towards kind of their, their, their closer not to their physical peak but closer to their physical peak the uh the the window for adaptation or the amount of things you can utilize for adaptation gets much gets I guess like smaller and smaller and smaller as time goes on, whereas for a lot of Louis guys the the window of adaptation is to up the dose and lift the most, so I, I think you I think that's probably something lacking a lot is the actual understanding of kind of what actually is going on in the background of like certain gyms or certain programs and like for different kind of athletes there's different ways of doing it because it does like guys will say it doesn't change much but it's a it's a complete game changer and um, and something being involved with strength sports have i've been lucky enough to to see it in flesh in the flesh um with friends or whoever and it really does it just they're completely they're almost different species natural versus not natural so for obviously natural athletes i think a lot of the the west side principles maybe work well quite well in rugby are smaller team sports because you basically you have like a very finite window of adaptation so you only have maybe one session maybe one session two in every two weeks depending so something where you're exposing an athlete to a maximal um voluntary contraction or a maximal effort whether it's me or re or to a lesser extent dynamic effort you're, you're providing that window of adaptation for them to get the neural benefit from the training which at the end of the day is probably more to the certainly in season is probably more to the to the scale we're looking to affect for a, for a, for an athlete. So it, I'm not saying like, I'm not saying for for lifters it has a place, for athletes it has a place, but it's it's maybe not so, such a simple question as in um, like have you used Westside? Does Westside work? Like certain certain some of the principles are quite good. Like I, I quite like um, for run and jumping athletes uh, and athletes like rugby, things like box squats using bands and chains. Allows overload stimulus. It allows it allows you to get a maximal contraction through an entire range rather than getting a maximal contraction at the strongest point of the movement. Um, so yeah, there's certainly some principles I think are useful, but um, I think you, I think it's always good to to understand where things are coming from and maybe see where they kind of enter link in a program and how it works. Like rather like it's one thing that I think a lot of people are guilty of when it comes to strength training or just training in general. Is to think more on that kind of siloed, that siloed effect. So for for me, when when guys were in the gym, I I would rather see them move like sixty to eighty percent snappy to get a nice volume load to basically get a stimulus. When it came to like big compound movements like squats and deadlifts, and wasn't necessarily too fussed with guys hitting. Big lifts in the gym because you're you're taking away adaptation from somewhere else. So like the speed training, the units, the the aerobic work, um, the physio, like what what you, we know these guys all have like a massive training schedule. So when it comes to when I like to think about the weight training, or I try to think about the resistance training, it's how can I add, how can I how can I build this athlete's capacity without having them show me their capacity if that makes sense, yeah. rather than. Uh, for instance, uh, it was Ross Ford during last season. Um, the heaviest he we he doing a mixture of like box squats, um, band squats, half squats. Um, I think the the heaviest he he half squatted um, in a like about a six week cycle. And the heaviest he half squatted was maybe but two fifty for two. Um, I don't think it was against bands. I think it was just straight straight weight. It maybe had a it maybe had a uh, a chain on it. But um, he had a – through luck of instance, I think he didn't get selected or he had a rest week for Scotland or whatever the whatever the quirk was. And uh, his his squat PB at the time was 240, and we were basically sitting there in a non-23 session on a Friday. He had a 48 hours recovery. So, you know, you don't get these guys in this situation often. So, mm. but basically, he fancied going for a max. I was like, yeah, sure, go for it. And he squatted 260, which is like a 20-kilo PB. For him having one not done a full squat for about six weeks and two heaviest he lifted through a half squat was 250 for two. So it's, it's to understand as well that um, there's like there's an incredible soup of um, training and adaptation within rugby. So I think it's one is how, how can your training add and not take away from that training? And it's to maybe have like a because when the guy goes does a scrum lineout uh, line out efforts, so all of these are exposures to force production time on retention. so, yeah, for me, it's, it, I, I like to make things, I like to try and make things, well, I like to, to understand things, and then try, try to simplify, as I understand, I don't know if I am maybe talking in circles here, or are you following? No,
1: yeah, yeah, no, I agree, I Not think, um, I think sometimes, <clears throat> because when, when you're kind of learning different training modalities, you'll get, oh, you know, for hypertrophy, you need to work at this percentage for these reps, and then for strength, it's got to be over 80% for low reps, but, you so you think that's how you prescribe load whereas you can actually see when you've actually done it you can see some maximal loading over time can increase max strength um and, and once you've done it you realize that and then you're not you're not so pressed into having to lift heavy all the time
0: yeah um, i think that's there's a lot of question that's the fact um I don't know if you ever heard of a guy called borshko we've probably heard of Chico i yeah, imagine yeah yeah so basically his whole training philosophy he doesn't he, he looks at relative intensity and he looks at uh volume as in terms of total reps so the only variables he'll count within his training week obviously he, he trains purely he trains weightlifters and powerlifters but he's famous for powerlifting the only two training variables he will look at um as meaningful are one only variations of squat deadlift and uh bench press he doesn't he doesn't track volume load for rows for lunges lower back they do the assistance work but he doesn't track it um and he will look at uh the relative intensity so the the way he tracks relative intensity or relative load is every single rep so rather than say you take so you you maybe take um 30 reps done with an average intensity of um 75 so that's your your volume and your intensity he will take every single rep so if there's if there's like five reps done at 70 percent he'll take five 75 and if there's like so on and so forward and then he'll take an average of that and he but it, he uses that and volume is of just the total number of lifts done but the only thing he uses to track um the the loading of a week is the uh, just the gross number of lifts done um and he he deliberately doesn't have his athletes go over 90% his the better his athletes are the the less heavy they lift so the kind of the heaviest his athletes will go to in preparatory phases will be 85 90% and for they might do maybe do ninety five or ninety percent for two sets of two, whereas in that training week, he, some of his training cycles, he do a thousand plus lifts in a week, and he, he tracks from fifty percent to one hundred percent. So that's a thousand lifts between fifty and one hundred percent. Obviously, this is how um, full time powerlifters are training, but it's also um, the most the most successful strength coach on the planet as as far as powerlifting goes. And he has all of his lifters. He doesn't really. The intensity of effort is not really the main thing. Mm. It's it's the the, the crew, the, the amount of work done, and the relevant intensity of that. And that as long as that's cycled correctly, and athletes are coming into competition in the correct space, um, that's kind of that's <coughs> that's it. Sorry, uh, I'm getting lost here. That's kind of how he, he tracks his training. Yeah. So to put this in perspective, he trains a lifter called Krill Sarlachev. So Krill Sarlachev is the current all-time bench world record holder. His bench is 335 kilos. Um, without a shirt, um, <laughs> so the guy, the guy he took that off is a guy called Eric Spoto. So Eric Spoto is probably more of the American style of training, as in it's like they train heavy, train often, more is more kind of philosophy. So I think uh, I might get the numbers wrong, but I think um, uh, Eric Spoto bench 372, or sorry, 3 327 or 330, and it was difficult. Whereas Krill, when Krill benched 335, it looked like it was nothing. Look, at R 10 kilos on him. Hmm. So it's kind of like the two different philosophies at the absolute extreme of, of one exercise. And how like lifting like, high intensity, lifting the failure versus lifting sub-maximally, uh, lifting with a lower, with a lower um, percentage, with maybe a higher volume, how they present themselves at the absolute extreme of bench press, for example. So, it, it, there's, there's more than one way to skin a cat, and I think, we, I think when we look at things, so when someone's like, I, th- I think there's a real danger within strength training or within training in general and being too bound by sports science, because if you, if you look at it, you'll, you'll look at the, the, the very, the, there's been very little meta-analysis done on, on dose response to strength training, but the, 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 the meta-analysis that has been done would suggest that 85% is the optimal training percentage and four sets per workout is optimal. But then we're looking at what's what's the population, what's the training background. When you start delving into it, what's the what are the quality of these studies? What was the duration of these studies? What were the extraneous factors, etc., etc., etc. You actually like sports science. Just due to the constraints of being sports science, is not the best science. So it's it's not like you're trying to utilize. Um, it's not. It's not like we're looking at clinical trials here. We're we're looking at. More science. So I think you, you need to be cognizant of that when you're when you're trying to be science-led. So for, for me, science will, will point you in directions, but then it's more for you to take that idea and then apply it with good, apply it systematically, apply it um, thoroughly with your own group of athletes or with yourself or whoever it is. I, I, can't, I don't think you can take, you, you can take things like Like hypertrophy being volume dependent, pretty much. You you can definitely take that from the literature because that's pretty much as writ. That's coming out left, right, and center. Velocity-based studies, um, intensity-based studies. Like if you if you control for the volume, the cross-sectional area responses seems to be more or less uniform as long as the volume load is, or the volume load or the amount of work is is sufficient to produce hypertrophy response. So I think you can take some of some things like that as writ. But when it comes to the actual nuance of programming or or trying to to work with specific populations such as rugby players, powerlifters, weightlifters, I think I think it's nice to have like a it, it's essential. It's, it's not nice. It's essential to understand physiology. It's essential to understand biomechanics, and the better you're understanding, the better kind of uh the the, the better grounded you are in some principles. But to try and be like just science, led I think is a is a huge check on someone's armor. You, n- you need to be pragmatic overall when programming and dealing with like real world athletes. In my opinion,
1: yeah, and I think you need the skill to, you know, be able to see how how the athletes or the squad are adapting to that program, and then and then changing the program based on that rather than just going, oh well, this is this is what the research says they should be getting stronger. But well, if if they're not, you need to change it. Um, and it, it, you talking about the, the volume loads remind me I think it was Dan John saying that um, it doesn't matter if you're you're not working at you know 90% plus working on close to your 1RM so long as you're if you're increasing your volume load at around 80% and slowly over time increasing your 80% your 1RM is going to increase yeah That um, question so and especially for rugby players who don't you know their competition isn't testing their 1RM so long as they're over time in, increasing their physical capacity then then they're laughing so they don't have to work maximally all the time obviously there's times when it you know it's beneficial but um it's just a, a little point there and, and we were talking um kind of talking about you mentioned earlier about um kind of newbie gains how you can just keep adding reps or adding weight to the bar um and then you get to that point uh, where you can't do it anymore what what sort of progression methods do you use for your athletes
0: so for me, it's uh, when I have a newbie. So when I have a, someone that's new, a novice athlete, a novice lifter, a novice whatever, it is. It's movement. It's just movement. I'm not worried about. So if I, if I have a guy who's just started lifting weights, say for the first year, I'm. I don't care what he can lift for one. I, I really couldn't care less. Well, what I'm worried about is how he executes what he is lifting. So, um, I'd rather see someone execute uh, an overhead squat or a snatch or a clean whatever it is with as close to a close approximation to ideal movement as possible on a regular basis and have like a stable execution rather than taking someone who's like say a a 16 year old kid who's maybe athletically gifted is, is entering into an academy program or whatever the scenario is and taking that kid from a 120 squat to a 230 squat or a 250 squat or whatever it is because we're, we're losing sight of the, the, the if we we're 16, if we we're 18, if we we're 20, or if we we're just, if we we're just entering like a training scenario, I think it's very easy to, to lose sight of the bigger picture. So the, the bigger picture is for, for a powerlifter, you can, your physical peak within the sports is around 35, 36. And um, if you're willing, if, if you're willing to, to take some of daddy's cough syrup, you can take that peak right out to, to 45. Um, so if, if if a kid's starting lifting at 15, he potentially has a 20 to 30 year career of of peak athletic development. Not just doing it, he can do it all of, all of his life because powerlifting is one of them sports. With within rugby, you know, you're, we're looking at hitting our peak probably around 28 to 30. I would say. I say I don't have any. I'm pulling this number on my bum. I don't have any. Uh, I don't have any data to back it up. But that's well, probably what we're looking at. We're probably looking at late 20s, early 30s as a physical peak within that sport. So if we have a, well, kids are starting to lift at the age of 12, 13, 14, um, certainly by about 15, 16 within rugby you're definitely lifting weights. So if we're looking here and you see all these academy kids who are, you know, they're outlifting the pros. If, if, if you have an athlete who is more developed on a physical parameter than the professionals who are, you know, playing day in, week in, week out the likes of Ross Ford, who is maybe 15 preseasons under his professional preseasons under his belt. If you're taking a kid from just coming in to the academy to outlifting that professional, you should maybe question <laughs> why you're doing it. It's, it's one of those uh, scenarios where it's just cause you can doesn't necessarily mean you should. Um, so like for me, it's, it's more about the, it's, but the qualitative side of things for me is more important at that stage. So when someone's new, so whether it's like, Jump training, speed training, it's uh, cardio, it's whatever it is. It's, it's the quality of movement, the quality of execution, the re- repeatability of execution over just getting a number. Because I, I, you know, you put you could put me in a rugby academy, I could take I could I could get them lifting stupid numbers, um, but you know, what's it going to do for them as a player? Probably not a lot. Maybe they might have some like videos on YouTube that make them look cool, but like on a Oh, it, so for me it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's the long it's to think long term and obviously because the way these places are set up but that can be a very difficult uh philosophy to actually bring definition because you have academy managers you have head coaches what like what how, how's fucking jimmy getting on the gym how's the squat doing how's this doing how's this ta- this test doing whereas it becomes about churning out numbers without well actually you know yeah, yeah, Jimmy squatted two thirty, but it was a bag of shit. Like he's, it was like high. He's fucking knee valgused. he back spasmed. He couldn't play for two weeks because. But but he, but he. The number went up the spreadsheet, so I'm doing a good job. Well, maybe you're doing a shit job. Maybe, maybe that's not what we should be doing. So I, th- I think the, the, for that, for me anyway, certainly, certainly from a powerlifting standpoint, from just a pure technical standpoint, it's about movement. The first year, at least, is about movement. There's so, I, so many people have come to me who have maybe are self-taught or who maybe had a coach in the past where their movement is just, it, it's shit. And you're talking, for some people, you, you're talking like two years, three years to correct problems. So some, some lifters who, who's, who's back rounds like fuck at like 50 to 60% on a deadlift. So, and then they've been lifting for about two or three years, either under, under their own steam or with a coach who maybe... Wasn't um, the most diligent on that side of things, and like for for the better of the lifter, we're talking. Look, we need to take a side step here for six months. It could be two years, um, but until like this this aspect of your training is correct, like you're basically you're on a one-way train to Snap City. Unless we sort this um, this aspect of your movement out, and yeah, I've, I've lost I've lost plenty of clients from just being. Look, this is what we need to do. This is the reason we're doing it, and then. You know, because because part lifting, you can see what you're doing, you can see the weight you're lifting. All like people get antsy, like oh well, so and so's lifting that, so and so's lifting this. This girl's got better than me, or this guy's got better than me. But it's like, yeah, but look at how they're doing it. Like give give them five years and they won't be in the sport anymore because they'll be too injured. And um, so yeah, so for me, it's it's not about that. The program is irrelevant because we're you're you're in you're you're in that adaptation soup. You can literally do fucking anything and they're gonna get better. So if you can do anything and get better, then why not develop quality over like a quantity or develop? If that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And and with that in mind, do you do you give them at, at that stage a lot of variety of exercises, or do you try and stick to you know the basic lifts and really perfect that, or do you try and give them a, a kind of broad movement base, so to speak?
0: For an athlete, certainly variety is is a very good thing to give them. You're just adding them more tools. So if if, if you have an academy, if you have an athlete who comes from an academy where they do Olympic lifts, they do lots of jump training, they do lots of sprint training, then all of a sudden I have all these wonderful tools I can use for ballistic strength, I can use for power development, I can use for strength development. You know, if like if if maybe their back's a bit sore. I can go right try front squat and then you can take a front squat through a full range with a good movement. Or like we can actually have deadlift in the program. So there's one thing we took out of um, the Edinburgh Strength Edition program was pretty much deadlift. There was a few guys that did it, but just from having went through a preseason where deadlift was one of the key exercises and the amount of movement issues that most of the guys had because they hadn't had a powerlifting coach show them how to deadlift. And um, guys are picking up back spasms, like they're like like it's just loads of issues. So that was something I just removed from the program. And we, we we had some of the guys who are LTIs who had deadlift on the program. But if you were playing deadlift, wasn't the program mainly because there was too much back being used, it was rounding like the, there hadn't been enough policing of the movement. Mm. So it, that was an exercise we removed. But it's it's, it's a fantastic exercise, it's something that you, you'd love to be able to utilize. But if it's not being done correctly, it can present a whole shitload of problems. So, and like, if you get if you have guys who can like squat through a full range with good technique, you know, that's that's a way better way of developing someone's athleticism than having to use box squats and a and like single squat a single leg squats because we have to kind of gimp the program because you don't have the range or you don't have the technique to squat through a full range. So if we if we can squat like a weightlifter, we're gonna get a whole shitload of uh, of, of adaptation that's hugely beneficial for your vertical force production and your general athleticism. Whereas if we're only lifting through a box squat, yeah, we might get some of the, the vertical force production adaptations we want, but there's going to be things like VMOs going to be underdeveloped because you're not going through full range, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So if, if, for an athlete, that, um, that variety of exercises just increases their physical literature, increases their syllabus, gives the coach more… More tools that we utilize, You can run a you can run a better program basically if they have a better skill set and better movement. So I think for an athlete, the variety is incredibly important. For for a powerlifter, less so, um, because we're, we're we're performing a closed skill. So if 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 it's that if it's, if we're looking to, to become good at a closed skill, we'll utilize a, a variety to teach someone how to do it. So when I teach someone how to squat, I'll utilize a variety like overhead squat. We'll do gobble squats. We'll do zombie squats the front squats, paw squats, blah 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 blah, box squats. So, if 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 we have movement issues or we have uh, skill issues, then variety is incredibly useful to, to 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 show that person maybe a way, an alternative way, a better way of bracing. So, for, for example, if, if if you have a lifter who who has who has difficulty holding their lumbar position through a full squat one thing we can utilize is a mixture of box squats, tempo squats and pause squats with the correct coaching cues and we we can we can get a we can get a really good return out of using that variety of lifting with without actually doing the movement we're trying to do. We, we are doing it but we're doing it in a variety of different ways. So but like for 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 like a novice powerlifter, I would rather they do the, just do squat, just do deadlift, just do just do bench press but with with like a very good technique and constantly trying to like hone in on the technique and where there are like, we'll we'll use some variation. Um, but yeah, so, so at that stage, so it's very easy to put numbers on powerlifting. So for a lifter who's maybe a novice we would say 80% of their volume will be specific to the lift they're training. And then 20% might be variety. Whereas for like an athlete, a rugby player, a soccer player, or whatever the the athletic endeavor is, it doesn't actually particularly matter what like they can front squat, they can back squat, they can trap bar, they can box squat, they can fucking do anything really for strength development as long as there's external resistance, as long as it's the moving quality is being coached, as long as we're we're trying to 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 develop like physical literature outside of just trying to get the latest squat two twenty because. Cause great, whatever. But like, it's um, yeah. So that's that's for me. That's kind of the, the the I I for me I would I, I treat I would treat the the coaching of a, of an athlete completely differently. It's, it's, they're they're so separate from training like lifters, um, yeah. because they're, they're just completely different in like what you're trying to the outcomes you're trying to get. Yeah.
1: So let's talk. This is a question we um, we ask all the guests on the podcast, um, and strictly to, to rugby. What do you think the biggest mistake that rugby players make? When it comes to s c
0: when it comes to s and uh, training too hard without question, Without question. Any um, anytime you do a cardio drill, you have to puke for it to be good. Any time we're doing strength training, it's got to be heavy. It's go heavy or go home. It's it's definitely training too hard. Is guys are like so fatigued, like all the time. They don't like they don't worry about developing capacity. They just worry about the number. So if it's a yo-yo test, or it's the the Bronco test, or it's like a 30-meter speed time, it's just about getting better at that thing. Like, what, it's a good thing as an athlete to have that mindset to to be have that single-minded mindset where it's like, right here are the things that we want to focus on, and I want to get better at this. That's a great mindset, obviously. However, it's 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 the lack of appreciation for into what builds like a better body for rugby. And it's not, it's, it's it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, how it's done. It's, it's it's for, for weights, like we were talking about beforehand, it's about moving like 80% and like moving it rapid and having great technique, rather than moving 95% like a bag of shite. If you, you can move that 80% up, and your capacity is coming up, it's coming up, it's coming up. And you don't really feel like you're training in the gym. You maybe come out feeling like you've done a workout. Whereas if you're constantly testing You're basically your biomechanical integrity. You're coming out with a sore knee. You're coming out with a sore back. You're coming out with a sore shoulder. Then these two people are the person who's maybe looking at how things are done, and maybe you know, maybe this season they're not going to have the best season in the world, but you know, five seasons down the line, seven seasons down the line, bear in mind they don't get injured, which which is very fucking likely in that (laughs) that amount of time. But you know, it's about building the capacity. It's about being better for next year, being better for next year, being better for next year. Rather than trying to trying to shove up numbers in the next eight weeks because that's preseason, and then, you know, and again, you know, professional sport is kind of um, it's it's an environment where that's almost an inescapable reality because guys have like a year contract, two year contracts, you know, they they have to perform well, they have to do as well as possible. So within that scenario, you're pretty much just you're only going to get short, sharp return kind of mindset. But for 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 guys who are in the amateur game, there's absolutely no reason. Way they've got to have that same mindset.
1: Yeah, and um, I, I like to use the term minimum effective dose, but I think sometimes people go, "Oh, that's you know that's too easy, that's pathetic." Or coaches go, "Oh, you know we don't we don't want that. We want maximum dose and all this sort of stuff." But if it's actually getting them better in the long run, and you know there's less frequent injuries and things like that, why wouldn't you do that? And, and it's like what you said earlier that you know the amount of um, you know demands they have in terms of other training, like, you know their technical tactical training. They can't be going max effort all the time. Um, you've got to know how to how to get adaptations without you know stressing them.
0: You know absolutely. Doing... For me, the the best kind of uh, the best sc coach will have people hitting pbes without thinking they're training. Basically, if you're good, yeah.
1: Um, right. So um, you mentioned earlier velocity based training. I thought would be um, interesting to get your thoughts on on. Know, what you think? How you've used it, or on how, you, or how you think it would be best employed in rugby?
0: So we utilise gymware a, a fair bit in our program, and I, I thought um, in a scenario uh, where we're trying to have that philosophy, where maybe we're just looking at volume loads and we're looking at execution. I think it adds R variable, and it, it adds something that's objective, where we can say, "I've moved seventy percent at these speeds, so I know next time I come onto that." Either one we can use as, as an objective to kind of uh, so you, – you'll, you'll have seen it if you've used it where if you have maybe someone's doing 5x5 five five or 75% or they're doing 6x6 six six or 70% or whatever the percentage, whatever the session rep scheme is. As soon as we put like uh, Gemaware on it or you put whatever the other – whatever velocity um, – whatever the velocity device you're using, as soon as you put that on, all of a sudden the intention goes through the roof guys are actually they're trying to like blast a rep up there because velocity is something that speaks to athletes something that speaks to rugby players uh, certainly some of the the knuckle dragon props you know they'll they're, they're they're incredibly fixated on what they're actually lifting but you, you, some of your uh your softer souls shall we say like your nines or your tens and um, who maybe don't go hell for leather in the gym it's a, it's a nice way of like engaging that kind of athlete yeah. Where we can say, look, look, yeah, we're only left at one twenty, but you know, you're you're shifting that rapid, um, yeah. For me, it's like for with the, for an athlete, velocity training is very, very good because it basically just it puts the intention into it. And for what what we want the adaptations, we want the intention is probably more important than the actual ex exercise, the set, the rep, or whatever, because we're we're looking for more of a a power velocity based adaptation. So intention is incredibly important yeah. for that kind of athlete, and it just. It, it it could be a born sets of reps, it could be it could, it could be three by three at eight percent, but it just gives you like a number that speaks to these kind of athletes better. So I think from just like a that kind of standpoint, it's incredibly useful. But also it it, it kind of so you'll you'll probably know of like moderate um, regulatory periodization RPEs yeah. kind of Mike Tushner sort of thing. Yeah. So for me, that's that's always been an attractive um, concept. However, as a coach, um, for me the the inaccuracies cause me issues um, and like you, you like you'll get someone like mike tushner from reactive training systems who's incredibly good at u- utilizing it with athletes and you'll get some athletes who are incredibly good at utilizing it because they spent a lot of time with it they're honest and um, they understand it they can implement it but if you're if you like trying to understand like, you can imagine to a tight head you have you have a 40-minute gym session okay this is rp <laughs> this is rpe training so, like, we want you to lift up to an eight point five at of RPE. Half of these guys can't even spell their own name. Like, they're not gonna, they're not gonna implement that well. It's, if as soon as you say, right, we're going singles, they're gonna go heavy. It's just gonna happen. So, what we can say is, with velocity based training, we can actually implement auto regulatory periodization with an objective measure. So we can say, look, it's five sets five today. Here's your velocity band. Crack on. And it's there's no debates. There's no there's no interpretation. It's straightforward as long as the the device you're using is accurate. The outputs are accurate. And for me is you, you could you can apply like a fairly simple um volume based uh four week cycle for instance say, say a six by six, week one, week by two, six by three, week by four, five sets of, or week three, five sets of five, week four, like five sets of two, and what we do is we just add the velocity bands to that correlate roughly to the percentage we would want. And then you just let the guys work away in the bands. When a guy's feeling good, it'll go heavy. When a guy's feeling like shit, it'll go lighter. And there's no like, there's there's no hiding. There's no there's no bullshit. It's like, look, I can see, I can see the number. So I know like we need to go down, or I can see the numbers going up. So it, it, for me, it's like it's it's really incredibly useful for dealing with athletes, especially squads of athletes. I mean, if you're working with someone one-on-one basis, you, you can see, you can see. Look, that looks easy. Let's put a bit more weight on. Oh, that was a bit hard. We'll take the weight down. Um, but when you got forty guys in the gym, and maybe, maybe you only have one SEC coach who's like good at the gym. Maybe you have like a guy who's maybe not so good. Maybe you have like three or four interns who don't know, don't really know the gym from Adam. It just we can go. Look, here are the numbers. So, or maybe you assign an intern or, or or a developmental coach or whatever to a group of three guys. You're like, look, here's a set of reps. Here's the velocity bands. Just go and help them guys out, and all of a sudden everything's working like clockwork within the gym. So I think, I think for like squad-based, um, squad-based programs or group-based programs, I think velocity-based training is like incredibly useful tool, and it's maybe something we probably, well, I certainly wish we maybe used a bit more of at Edinburgh. We did utilize it, but we maybe couldn't have done as much with it as we could have done. But yeah, I, th- I think it's very useful.
1: Yeah, because I, th- I think when, like say, gym awares and tender units and stuff first uh, began being used, it was more for the kind of power stuff, but more and more people are realising the benefits of using it for the strength work as well. So it's, it's good to see that being used more. Um, let's talk, and normally if I have a physio on, on the podcast, I will usually ask about injury prevention, but I think it would be good to hear from a, from a strength coach's perspective. What, what are your big um, or your go-to things for injury prevention?
0: Be strong. Move correctly. Don't program like a retard. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, I, th- I think you're exactly right. Obviously, s- strength is you know one of the one of the best injury prevention tools you've got. And um, people kind of look for these funny balance exercises. But if if you're not strong, then there's no point doing any of that.
0: Yeah, it covers your bases, you know. If you don't move like a retard, then you don't knee valgus when you jump. You don't need August when you turn. You lift with a good posture. You do everything with a good posture. If you're strong through a full range, then you're pretty much in a good place there. And then the vast majority of injuries are... So the one thing that always broke me talking to the physiotherapist was the term load and how it was basically a catch-all for everything under the sun. so It's a, load, it's a loading issue. It's a loading-based injury. It, you know, to a sense, like, they're correct. All injuries, any overuse injury is a load issue. It's an overaccumulation or load without enough... Um, without enough space for recovery, so that's where the not program like a retard comes into the equation. So if if as long as as long as things are like dealt with, so you're not going from like doing a 10 a week up to a 20k a week straight away. As long as long as you're looking after the the variables you can as a, as a, from an SC standpoint. As long as we're making sure that with, we're we're using our GPS, we're using our art rates, we're using our gym awareness, we're, we're we're controlling the variables that we have or the objective variables we have. And programming them in a sensible manner where where we're where we're increasing things in a logical manner where we're allowing we're allowing for recovery where it's appropriate um, and as, as, as long as we're like we're doing that side of things well as long as our athletes move well and as long as our athletes are well-developed athletes then i think you're pretty much doing all you can from an injury pre- prevention standpoint i really don't think that a lot of these kind of airy fairy exercises really have a big place in the gym and see see a lot of um uh you so since kind of kelly starlight became a thing yeah like so i'm currently doing a bit of coaching in the gym uh, where the athletes take about 30 to 40 minutes to warm up to do a <laughs> lifting session and it's like it, i, I, I did a seminar in a place and they were what's a good warm-up for squat uh go to the gym squat the bar for 10 put some weight on do it you know like there's no like there's no need for half the, like like the vast majority of this shit is just a waste of time it's 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 entertainment exercise is what one of my colleagues said once so i thought was a fairly uh, fairly accurate description of it so you think about it so if you think where a physiotherapist is coming from a physiotherapist is a strength coach they just train weak and injured people so they they have a, a battery of exercises. So isometrics and eccentrics are huge within physiotherapy because an isometric is probably the first contraction you can probably do. Yeah. So that that's the one thing that annoys me so much about um, talking to physios is eccentrics and isometrics. It's just muscle action. It's like they talk about eccentric training and concentric training like they're two different things. That it's just muscle action. It's just sub, subsequent muscle action. So like from my standpoint, obviously I'm dealing with. Um, like very like people who are fit quote-unquote who are like looking to get better or something so for my action it's like I, I don't really concentrate on muscle action but whereas obviously where they're coming from they're coming from a point where muscle action has a huge relevance so that's something they think about a lot and then and then if you, if you look at so what's what's the physiotherapy program three sets of ten of this exercise for the next four weeks well where's the progression Um, we're going to use a heavier band well how do you uh, what's what's the resistance of the band what's what weight is that What's the volume load of that? So like they, they're, but they don't have to because people adapt so quickly to the exercise they're doing because they're coming from a place where they have a broken arm, they have a, like an ACL repair, whatever it is. They're coming basically from zero to being fit enough to actually do a bit of a gym program. So, so, for, so for me, like a lot of stuff that they do, like has obviously is hugely relevant and like, if you ever, if you ever worked inside, rugby, physios are fucking super important. I'm not saying that like <laughs> they're useless. But it's, it's it's just it's, it's that compartmentalization of people who train basically train weak people or train injured people, and then they're trying to to train a fit athlete or a strong athlete and use the same tool set, where they they have someone who um, someone who has weak glutes but can, can squat three times body weight. Like, how the fuck are they going to squat three times body weight if they're weak the glutes are weak? It doesn't make any sense. Maybe it's it's weak in a certain scenario in a certain test, but like, what's the actual ramifications of that in movement? So there's a very good podcast called the Physio Edge Podcast. I don't know if you ever come across it. No, I haven't. It's ran by a group in Australia. They have some really outstanding episodes. I don't think there's that many of them. I think there's maybe 50 or 60 of them. But they had one girl on who talked about the meaningful task, which I thought was just like, was such a light bulb for like physios. And I don't know if a lot of people have heard about it. Well, basically she'll look at, she'll look at, so if she's talking to me as a parlor, she'll be like, right, my, like I'm getting glute pain or I have glute weakness. So they'll actually make you do a squat with a barbell and like have a look at it. And then within that scenario, they might say, uh, at this point of the movement, there's weakness, which is obviously relevant, but it's, it's even that a small thing of actually like taking rather than just like, right, we're going to do an injury prevention scheme where we're going to do these exercises and it's delivered shit. It's not coached. It's like you have a group of guys doing band work that they don't buy into. The physios are really coaching it just kind of lie they lie around the floor roll about a bit and do some shit exercises with with fans as opposed to actually look what is the application of this like what we saying uh, here's my here's my. how many times have you seen a group of guys in the preseason go through a battery of like a half a day's worth of testing and they never fucking use the data ever yeah.
1: <laughs> it's,
0: just, it's just union policy that they do that it was a complete fucking waste of time we, we have guys we have guys going through, you know, you have your testing days when you come into preseason, guys doing like a, like a, like doing a maximal aerobic test and the morning before the maximal aerobic test, they're doing fucking planks to failure, they're doing trunk holes to failure, they're doing fucking hamstring tests to failure. It's just like, like, I don't want this in my program, but I have to have it in the program because it's union policy that that's in the program. It's like, what is the utility of this? Like, what is this telling us? when they eventually get injured that oh this is baseline so we can bring them back up the baseline because um because of legal issues or whatever but but yeah, it very
1: rarely even gets used for that <laughs> yeah.
0: so it's, it's just like for me it's it's like the idea is good but the execution is just shit it's it's just the it, i think it's just it's, it's very much in its infancy so i think it'll get so we can have things like the like the nord board which is quite a good tool There's things like this groin squeeze test and you know that are standardized, blah blah blah. So I think it's uh I think it's it will develop as it goes and obviously we're getting much better with um the external measures of load, GPS, heart rates, even RPEs to an extent. So it's definitely very much a, a science and development, but I think I think a lot a lot of injury prevention is just down to gross programme choices and how things are ran. and yeah
1: yeah definitely no I'm really glad I got your perspective on that as, as normally it's from a from a physio kind of view <laughs> um, so uh, this another question we we ask all the guests um, what advice would you give to a, an upcoming strength coach
0: get get to know people uh, too many guys are worried about um, getting quality getting the UK SCA you're getting the SCA you're getting a degree getting a master's for me if I'm if I, if, if I, let's say I, I was to put up uh, an an intern position available, so what I'm going to look at is I'm going to look at your experience first. That's the first thing I'm going to look at. I'm not, I don't really give a shit if you've got PhD, if you've got fucking five PhDs. It makes no difference. S&C is vocational, so I'm looking at your voca- The first thing I'm looking at is your vocational experience. If you don't have any vocational experience, you're in the you're in the no pile. Uh, you 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 could be Mike Stone, and I don't give a shit. If you if if you don't have if you don't have vocational experience, I'm not interested. So the first thing, get to know people. Like offer your time for free. It's it's the nature of the industry now. You're not you're not there's it's not a you're not going to get your masters. You're not going to get your UKSCEA and then apply to a job and get the job. It's not going to happen. What you're going to have to happen is you're going to have to talk to people. You're going to have to get to know people. You're going to have to offer your time for free. And it might be a year. It might be two years of offering your time for free. And eventually you'll get something. There'll be a there'll be an opportunity. will Maybe you shadowed with someone for a couple of months. They liked you. Maybe they have an entry-level position. You apply for it. They see your name, and that's and they're going to go for you. Chances, unless you maybe get your dick out in the in the interview or something, do something stupid. But chances are, you're probably going to get the role if you if you if they got on with you, they liked you. You spent some time with them. You have a much better chance of getting that role than someone who's just applying through through the application process. So the first, my advice would be, if you if you if you want to be an S coach, and you actually want to get a job, it's speak to people, intern, offer your time for free. Obviously, you still have to get your degree. You still have to. Get your accreditations and whatnot because you, you, need to be, you need to know what you're talking about at some stage. You need to be able to program at some stage. But it would be first, if you want, actually want to do this as a profession, it's get out there, get talking to people, find somewhere and volunteer your time. And when you do volunteer your time, be early, don't be a dickhead. Like we had a guy, um, we had a guy who's a weightlifter come into us um, maybe two years ago, three years ago. So we, we used to just like, We 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 had like maybe had one um, intern who was kind of there for the year, but we we we'd always be very we were very open programs. So people who maybe asked like who maybe knew me through lifting or knew Ash or whatever would ask like can we come and spend time? It's like we know what it's like to be an SSC coach, so of course Mm -hmm. you can come, you can hang out for like a day, two days, a week, whatever. So we did this with one guy who was a weightlifter who I didn't really know through um, uh, oh I kind of knew of but didn't really know. him. Uh, yeah. So the first the first session he's in, right? The guys are doing snatch and Forty's snatching like fifty or sixty kilos and uh he goes over to them, starts talking to them and makes a joke about them he's left, lifting, he's like, Oh, is that all you're snatching? And Forty's like, Oh, I've had four shoulder operations, I'm lucky I can snatch. Like that's <laughs> what of shit. You know what I mean? Just like what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> guys a lion, Guy's got a hundred casts for Scotland, guys a fucking legend, you just going oh, over there yeah. fucking jessing because you can snatch one of them. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck and so basically just don't be a dickhead was the main one uh, just like try to get on Like, ask questions, be helpful be on time uh, and just just be as helpful as you can and just, just, just try to get on with people because at the end of the day if you want to work with someone you got to get on with them so we're not going to hire someone that's a dickhead so yeah so that's kind of would be my advice
1: yeah great advice and um, kind of going away from the, the people thing are there any books you'd recommend
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so on strength training, the one book that I love is uh, Science and Practice of Strength Training by Arsky. Yeah. That is, without question, to me the best, the, the best yeah. book on the topic. It's, it's you know as it regards information, you know, Super Training by Mel Siff probably got better information. However, Mel Sif, God rest his soul, is probably the worst author I've ever read. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 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 harder than reading like an instruction manual. It's awful whereas there is actually there's a bit of a narrative to it it's, it's still a textbook you know it's not it's not fucking game of thrones but it's <laughs> uh, it's readable and it's digestible and the information is fantastic um mike stone's uh, science of principles as well is a very good book uh bumpers book i assume is quite good i don't know <laughs> I really read it but it always kind of <laughs> it, it always pops up Um, Yeah, so for me, I I think just take take two or three key texts from every element, so conditioning, physiology, anatomy, strength training, speed training. Like try try find what the key texts are and read at least one of those key texts. Um, For me, that's probably you're gonna get probably more out of doing that than you will do from doing a degree, because you'll you'll develop a better understanding of it. And then after that, you know, if you're interested in how to develop speed. Go and fucking spend some time at your, your your athletics club if you're interested in how to develop aerobic capacity. Go spend some time at your triathlete triath- triath- that thing? triath uh, whatever like your endurance based clubs. I'm not, not very good at endurance based sport. Um, <laughs> or if you want to know how to get strong, go and spend some time at your local weightlifting or your local uh, powerlifting club and you know just spend some time within the sport as well. I think that's that's overlooked as well. Um, you, you know, as a as an SC coach, you don't have to be. Or chico, you don't have to be a world-class fucking speed coach. You don't have to be a world-class uh, conditioning coach. But you, you do need to have an appreciation of all these elements. And, you know, spending some time with, like, an athletics club will 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 be a USP for you. So there's not many, not many SSC interns that are coming to me or that were coming to me having had, like, an athletics background or having had, like, a, a – even just – you know what? Even just having a training background as an intern is a huge bonus. Uh, you get lots of people who are like who who are trying to be SEC coaches but don't fucking train. It's like, how the hell are you gonna coach someone to train when you don't fucking train? He, 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 so it, it doesn't mean you have to like, be Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever, but to have a have an appreciation of the training process and like getting getting into that, I think is a <laughs> I've kind of derailed a little bit here, but I think it's a, it's an important thing to do.
1: No, I agree, a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, and lastly Mark where can people learn more about yourself
0: Okay, so I run a blog called uh, castironstrength.com so we also offer online training services Um, I'm also involved in uh, similar to yourself we have a a rugby training website called And it's still very much in in infancy but kind of my main if you want to get most of my work castironstrength.com is the place to be and I've also got an Instagram and a YouTube but you can get that all from the website
1: and um, we'll share all, all links to all of those um, in the show notes for people to click through but Mark uh, it's been great chatting to you um, really enjoyed it and I'm sure the listeners will got tons out of that so uh, thank you very much for spending the time with us
0: cool thanks very much very enjoyable cheers Mark
1: so there you go I'm sure you'll agree another great podcast and thank you Mark for taking the time to talk to us loads of great information shared and please check out Mark's uh, blog at castironstrength.com he's got a real good uh, real humorous writing style and some real good uh, blog articles on there so check them out and in the meantime please subscribe to us and give us a five star review and check us out at rugbyrenegade.com
0: until next time Thanks for listening to the Rugby Renegade podcast. For more quality rugby strength and conditioning information, check us out at RugbyRenegade.com. Rugby Renegade, Renegade. building Building machines. machines.